welcome to Save the Cowboy. This is Pastor Kevin Weatherby, and I invite you to saddle up and ride with us as we strike a trot to the max out of God's green pastures and learn how to live for Him. It was a couple of years ago, and living down in Texas, and me and Christy had the opportunity to take our kids on our very first uh, vacation as a family. Now, we had gone to places and done some little things and everything like that. And what I mean by vacation is like, you know, getting in the car, driving six hours, staying in a motel and, and all of that stuff. And we had just got to Dallas, Texas. We were going to go to uh, Six Flags and this water park. And we had just got there. We checked into our, our motel. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't even Motel 6. It was Motel 2 because that's all we could afford at the time, but by gosh, we was going to go to Six Flags, ride us some roller coasters. And so, anyway, instead of splurging on the motel, we splurged on other things, and Christy said, man, we, we, was, uh, we was starving after that long drive, and uh, I mean, nobody else has ever rode with kids, I know. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And, and Christy would tell me to be quiet, and uh, <laughs> why was that funny? <laughs> and so she said, where do you want to eat? And I said, and we're driving down, and I said, right there. It was Saltgrass Steakhouse. So, man, I drove, and uh, I would have been better off if I had just cut across the median and just gone over there, because it took me 45 minutes to get over there. And so we walked into Saltgrass Steakhouse, and we sat down. I didn't even have to look at the menu. That guy come up, and he said, what you want? And I said, a chicken fried steak, buddy, and throw on plenty of butter for the mashed potatoes. He's like, all right, and so they all ordered, and I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, my phone goes off. And I pull out my phone and I look and it's an email. Why in the world didn't I just leave that dadgum thing at home? Not in the truck. I should have just left that thing at home. When I opened up the email, it was an email from a cowboy church preacher in North Carolina. And he was telling me that I was going to hell because I didn't preach the gospel because I made it all fun and that I needed to have the fear of God. My appetite went right out the window. I emailed him back and thanked him for his generous uh, button into my business. And I said, the only, I said, I do fear God. And I said, but what you need to fear is if I ever find you. Because in, most people might think it's a, it's a sin to beat up a preacher, but I think, I think it's okay if another preacher beats up another preacher. <laughs> he kept going on and on and on about, you can't laugh in church because you've got to have the fear of God. I mean, I could just sing, smack him. Makes me so mad. I want to say, I'll put the fear of God in you. I was, I'm not going to say her name, uh, but I was talking to a, a young lady uh, that went, has gone down to Texas, and she went to a cowboy church down in Texas. And I said, oh, she goes, I went to a cowboy church down there. I was like, oh, really? I said, how was it? She goes, we all went to hell in the first two minutes. Makes me sick sometimes. The fear of God. You've heard it said before. I mean, everybody just wants to beat you with the fear of God. Jesus stick, whack you, smack you, crack you. The Bible tells us plainly in Deuteronomy 6.13. It is biblical, folks. Fear the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, the Bible tells us, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. What does fear the Lord, your God, mean? How do we do that? Are we supposed to just walk around like, like whipped pups or something like that? How do we have a reverential... I'm going to stop there because that's the biggest word I know. How do we have a reverential fear of the Lord? 
How do we accomplish that? And what does it mean? What does that mean, fear the Lord? If you could ask one person to define fear the Lord your God, who would you want it to be? Would you want it to be your fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Green? Because that lady knew every word that was ever begun. Who would it be? Would it be the smart person next to you? Would it be your know-it-all brother-in-law? Would it be... You can ask my wife, she knows nearly everything. Not really. Who would it be? So why don't we go to the one person that was perfect, that never got anything wrong? And why don't we ask him to define fear the Lord? Whenever I was younger, we used to... Uh, I was a snake hunter. That's how I made my living in high school, was literally catching rattlesnakes and selling them for about nine bucks a pound. Back then, it was pretty good money at nine, back, nine, nine bucks a pound. And, uh, you know, an average snake probably weighed two pounds. So you're looking at nearly 20 bucks a rattlesnake, and we'd climb those big old maces, and we'd take a, a flash, uh, not a flashlight, a mirror, and just shine it up under them rocks, and we'd find these dens of snakes in the winter whenever it was cold. And then we'd take some gasoline with a long sprayer on it, and we'd pump up that sprayer, and we'd spray gas in there, and it'd hurt those snakes' lungs, and the snakes would come crawling out, and we'd pick them up with catchers and put them in a trash can. It was fun. Y'all don't look like that's very fun. <laughs> Everybody looked at me like, you dumb. But, you know, honestly, we, we had a... a it, it was fun. I mean, we wore a lot of protective equipment. I'll never forget. I only got struck at... No, I got struck at a lot. I only got hit one time, and um, I just really wasn't paying attention and stepped off a rock, and there was one right under there, and it was a warm day, and he was out sunning himself, and he struck me on the back of the catchers, and I turned around like, is that all you got? Caught that snake, sat down, and went... <laughs> for about 20 minutes. There was a friend of mine... Uh, his name is Kevin Gatewood. He's a heck of a guy. I mean, you can just tell. What is the matter with my um, Why does that do that? How come it goes around your head? That's a mystery. I might have to safety pin it or something. Uh, anyway, there was a friend of mine named Kevin Gatewood, and he was, he was like some of y'all out there. I mean, he would scream like a girl if a, if a snake was within 400 feet, but he'd come over to the house. Kevin was like six foot five, 315 pounds. This guy played college... Uh, lineman and his son plays for uh, Odessa Permian that they made the Friday Night Lights. His son is a big old fella and everything. And so Kevin come over and he's like, you got some snakes here? And I was like, you know we do. He's like, you got any big ones? I said, yeah, we got a few. He goes, will you show me one? I was like, yeah, come on out here. He's like, I ain't getting close. I said, I'll just pick one up out of the box. We had this big box. And I said, I'll just pick one out and let you see it. He's like, okay. So I reached in there and I grabbed one and I picked it up and he's like, oh, whoa, that's a big one. I was like, yeah, it's a pretty big one. And I picked up about two or three of them and showed him. And then I grabbed the big rubber snake that was in there. And I started moving that catcher like this, like it was a flopping around and everything. I was like, this is the biggest one we got. And I went like that and I went, ah! And I threw it at him and it hit him right here in the chest. Six foot five, 315 pounds come this high off the ground. Did one of them diver pirouettes that they can do. He hit on all fours and bear crawled from about here to the front door. I thought that was going to be funny. That man nearly died. I didn't think it was... <laughs> I thought it was funny like for a split second. And then he came back and he, he literally had mesquite thorns in his hands. He literally just crawled. He was so scared. Doesn't even remember doing it. When me and Christy... We got married, we lived, we were renting a house, and then we bought one and moved it to the uh, 
moved it to the ranch. There's this old cement slab right where we wanted to set our house down. So we got the, the front end loader and we got over there and we, it was kind of broke. So I picked it up, or I had her pick it up, and I looked under there and there was two rattlesnakes under there. I was like, hang on a second, let me go get my catchers. So I went and got my catchers and I reached down there and I caught one of them and uh, went walking out there with the, with the spade shovel and I walked way out here in the pasture. I set him down and I cut his head off and buried the head. Got to bury the head. And then threw the body out there, went back, caught the next one. And the whole time, Chrissy's like, oh, 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 oh. she's standing up on the tractor seat. I was like, they really can't climb up that tractor. She goes, you don't know that? I was like, yeah, I do. So anyway, we ended up catching 19 of these snakes under this one little cement pad. And I'll tell you what, this 250-pound fella right here was a sopping wet. You'd be amazed at how hard snake catching is when you catch one and walk about 60 or 70 yards out in the pasture, dig a hole, cut its head off, go back and get another one. We kept doing that. And the reason I tell you that is because there's somebody else that wrangled a snake. One time, one time, one time, I was at it, this mountain, and I caught a snake. And this is the only time it ever happened. I caught a snake with a, and it, it was a pretty good size one, not the biggest one we had ever caught. But I caught this snake, and I was going to go put it in our toe sack, because that's real smart, right? Put it in the toe sack, and put the toe sack over your deal, and just walk off. It works. I picked up this snake right behind the head about this far, and he started biting it. And then he did something amazing. He started crawling up the catchers. And I had him. And by this time, I had clipped the toe sack back, threw the toe sack on the ground, and I was holding those catchers with everything I got. And that snake was still crawling right up those catchers. And he got about this far from my hand. And you talk about not knowing whether just to... Because, I mean, as soon as I let go, the snake was going to be free. And I, didn't, I mean, I couldn't squeeze hard enough. You got three guesses what I did. And one of them is not pee my pants, okay? <laughs> he finally got close enough. I'd had enough. <laughs> I chunked it over there, and I knew that that was one snake that I couldn't get. I called my dad over there, and between the two of us, we were able to get that snake and get it in the sack. But I was going to tell you that there is a bad snake that somebody else squared off against. It was also in a desert, and this guy's name was Jesus. He had just been baptized, and he has just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. He's tired, he's hungry, he's probably thirsty, and the devil comes to tempt him. That old snake tempts Jesus three times, and three times Jesus counters with Scripture. Each time that old devil tries to get him to do something, Jesus comes back with Scripture to say, no, I ain't going to do that. And the third time, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Remember, we, we talked about Deuteronomy 6.13 a while ago. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. That's what 6.13 says. But if you will look at Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus talks about that, in most Bibles, if it has the little cross-reference, you'll see next to that verse, I think it's Matthew chapter eight, or Matthew 4, 8, something like that, or 10 or something, I don't have it written down. But anyway, if you look at that, it will show you that the, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. But I think it's amazing what Jesus says. Jesus says, For it is written, For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in every way. Did He just mess up? Because that's not what Deuteronomy 6.13 says. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. Yet when Jesus is tempted, Jesus says, For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. 
which one's right? I venture to say that they both are. If you are lost, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do need to fear the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, um, Jesus says, Fear Him who can destroy both body and soul. Jesus says, Don't worry about those that can only destroy the body. You need to worry about the one that can destroy your soul too. And that means God. He's the only one. He's the one that will judge us all. Not me, not, not somebody sitting behind you or next to you or anything. Jesus is the way to God, and that's what you will be judged on, whether or not you have a relationship with God's boy. The lost need to fear the Lord, but for those of us who sincerely believe, we have no need to fear, only worship. And Jesus defines it for us. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 that says, fear the Lord your God. So Jesus defines fear the Lord as worship. But what is true worship and how do we do it? I mean, that sounds good because when you talk to people and you say, well, what is worship? A lot of people say, oh, it's singing the 7-Eleven songs. You know, those, those songs that only have seven words and you repeat them 1,100 times? I ain't got nothing against those, but a lot of people, they think that's worship. And it can be. I'm not saying that that's not. But worship is not limited to just us, what we're doing here. Worship is not limited to music. But too often, we try to pigeonhole that worship. How do we apply that every day of our life? In Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what true worship is. In Romans 12, 1, he says, So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to Him. This is your true spiritual act of worship. Let me read it again. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, what was that mercy He sent His Son to die? That we would be made right with Him in His sight by believing in His Son that died for us. Because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to Him. This is your true spiritual act of worship. What can we get from that? Paul says, that Jesus said, we worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. How do we do that? By making a living sacrifice. Anyone can die for what they believe in, but can you live for what you believe in? Because dying for something is easy. I mean, think about it. It's a one-time deal, isn't it? It's a one-time deal for those. And, and I'm not taking anything away from the heroes. I mean, I was watching the heroes of Hell's Highway last night. Those bomb-diffusing guys. Oh my gosh. But not just them, any soldier. I'm not taking anything away from those soldiers that have given their lives by any means. But if, it, if you had to make a choice between now and saving your kid right now, 99% of you would, would sacrifice yourselves for your children or your family in a heartbeat. But that's the last thing you would have to do. Can you get up every morning and make a living sacrifice for God? Anyone can die for what they believe in, but can you live for what you believe in? The Bible says that we must die to self. That's a sacrifice. It's just a living one. What does die to self mean? A lot of people think, well, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. I, I, I want to try to break it down. Not, this isn't the only version of it, but it helps me to understand. How many of us have... Don't raise your hands. How many of us have trucks? How many of us have paid for trucks? How many of us have homes? How many of us have paid for homes? How many of us have hats or horses or halters? Hackamores. How many of us have those things? Somebody that makes themselves a living sacrifice will answer it this way. I have none of those because every single thing that I just talked about 
and everything else, it's all God's. You can make absolutely nothing. Everything that you have, everything that you possess is a gift from God. It helps me to keep my mind on God whenever I get up in the mornings and I go start the truck. That is not my truck. Even though I make the payment, God provides the money that makes the payment on the truck that He allows me to drive. I drive right out that gate from the land that He allows me to live on. And I come out of the house that He has provided for me. We must get in that frame of mind and quit thinking about that we have this and we have that. You don't have a stinking thing if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's all Him and He's given it as a gift to you. It's really His. It's on loan. God's cattle, God's hills, God's trucks, God's ranches, horses, halters, homes, and hats. It's all His. You want to know how to make yourself a living sacrifice? Quit thinking that you own everything. Your kids aren't even yours. They're a gift from God He has entrusted you with. How much better could we take care of all of these things if we kept that in mind? It's not mine, it's God's. Offer yourselves as living sacrifice, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to Him. This is your true spiritual act of worship. The first way you can worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Die into self. The second thing, how you can worship God continually, not just on Sunday mornings, not just at a mealtime before prayers, not before anything else, is to have a living faith. God will never allow anything to happen to you that doesn't benefit you, someone else, or Him. But let me ask you a question. How many times do we blame all of our problems on God? Think about this. When you don't get what you want, if something goes wrong, how many times do you hear Christians say, I don't know why God is doing this to me? God is not doing anything to you. God doesn't cause cancers. God doesn't cause uh, car wrecks. God doesn't cause bad things to happen to us. Now, He can use those things, but He doesn't cause them. You know, and I'm sorry, but I hate it when people say, well, God called Him home today. God didn't call anybody home. We live in a sinful world. This is not heaven. This is the bad... Well, it's not the worst place, but this is the bad place. God might not have called Him home, but I guarantee you Jesus met Him at the door and said, come on in. There's a difference. We must have a living faith each day know that God has got your back. The Bible says, if He is for us, who can stand against us? We need to quit blaming God for everything that goes wrong. Because you don't know how many times He's kept you some bad things from happening. He's, he may, sure, He could step in and stop it. But if He does it, it's either for your benefit, someone else's benefit, or for His. Maybe He wants His glory to be revealed. Think about this. Why did... Why did Jesus' best friend that wasn't a disciple was a man named Lazarus. Jesus knows everything. He's the Son of God. He is God Himself. And yet He goes in there, and Jesus is three days late for Lazarus' death, and Mary and Martha are bawling and squalling. He'd been in the tomb for like three days. Jesus gets there, and their lack of faith makes Him cry. And He says, Lazarus, come out. Why did God allow Lazarus to die? Jesus knew He was dying. Jesus could have said, no, Lazarus ain't going to die. He's, well, why did he allow Lazarus to die? So that his glory could be revealed. We need to quit blaming everything on God and start thanking God for each and everything, even if we may not like it. Because a faith will say that God's in control, not us. We've talked about living sacrifice. Nothing is ours. We've talked about a living faith where we trust God in everything. And the last one is probably the hardest. Sure, we can say, oh yeah, I've made myself a living sacrifice. I, I drive God's truck. 
I'll start saying that every morning, preacher. I drive God's truck. That's good too. And I, I, I have a living faith. I'm not going to complain about anything anymore. I have faith that God's in control of my life and I've given my life to Him. That's good. What about this one? How about living obedience? Are you talking the talk or are you walking the walk? Tough stuff. None of us will ever be perfect. But ask yourselves that question. Are you really obeying God or are you just trying to sneak in the back door by saying some pretty things? Are you living like He tells you to live? Are you doing the things that He tells you to do? Are God's commands a hot fence keeping you away from the cookies of life? Or are God's commands a guardrail to keep you plumbing, from plummeting off a cliff? How many times have you told your kids, how many times did my father tell me, don't walk behind that horse, son? Well, if I don't walk behind the horse, I have to take like six more steps to go around. Man, that's tough sometimes. We just want to take that shortcut right behind the horse. Is, is, was my father trying to keep me from doing something? Was he trying to make it hard on me? Was he just like standing up there in his fatherly boots, don't walk behind that horse, just to see, just to watch me walk six more steps around? But one day, he thought he had told me enough. Don't walk behind that horse, son. And sure enough, as most kids and some adults do, you walk right behind the horse and he kicks the snot out of you. Was God keeping you from something that you thought you needed? Was God asking you to take a few extra steps? God's rules, if you want to call them that. I don't like to call them that, but God's ways. The way He asks us to live is for a purpose. God does not want to keep anything from you that will make you happy. He's going to try to keep you away from things that will destroy you. Because a lot of people, they stand at that that gate going, man, all, I want to be in here in God's green pastures, but where it's fun is out there. But it's not fun out there. Because as soon as you step over, there's a cliff right there. God is trying to save us from the things that will kill us. And basically, He calls us sheep for a reason because we're dumb. We fall for it every single time. Thank goodness that God forgives us. A living faith, a living sacrifice, and a living obedience. I'm going to leave you with this question. What is it? that God has been talking to you about, that you know that you're not living obediently for Him. Look inside yourself and ask yourself why. You can make excuses. You can come up with tons of stuff. But when it boils down to it, we've all, as believers, have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. We've got to live sacrificially. We have to live by faith. And we have to live obediently. And you know what the result of all three of those things are? Pure happiness and eternal life. And if that ain't good enough for you, I ain't got nothing else. You know, this old world is full of tough trails and scary switchbacks. Our prayer is that God spoke to you today through His Word. If you heard God talking to you, just get on the internet and visit us at SaveTheCowboy.com. We're trying to reach every corner of the globe wherever there might be a cowboy or cowgirl that needs to hear God's Word in a way that they can understand. But we can't do that without your support. You can become a saddle partner with us at our website, www.savethecowboy.com, or contact us at 303-621-0133. Get out there and do what God's telling you to do. This program was brought to you by Western LLC, facility development for the oil and gas and aviation industries across the western United States. Reach them at westernllc.net. Also by the good folks at Integrity Auto Repair in Kiowa, Colorado and Comanche Creek Enterprises. Contact them today for no-till drilling and burrowing rodent control.